Lord, we see in your word an ability to do that that still comes from you. We cannot outgive you. You are such a good God, and we worship you this morning. You're the only one worthy to be worshiped. We come together, we gather in this place with that purpose, to worship you. Be glorified in your word. Change us this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. Here we are in James, and uh, James has asked us an interesting question. Who's wise? Who is wise? And as we see in the beginning of this chapter, he's giving instruction to those who would want to be teachers, right? And he, he actually gives a little warning with this instruction. Those of you who want to be teachers, maybe not all of you should. Think twice before desiring to be one who teaches. And then he goes into what almost looks like he's digressing, but it's so much more than just a digression. He goes into a long passage about the tongue and talks about how the tongue can, can harm. It can, with a little spark, set an entire forest on fire. It's so powerful. It's like a little rudder that turns a large ship. The tongue seems small, but it's a big deal. And those of you who would like to be teachers, it has the ability to deceive. It has the ability to destroy. It has the ability to do horrible things. And so think twice before you decide you're going to be someone who stands up in front of other people and teaches. And James is speaking to those who desire to be teachers and others and us as well. And I believe as we head into verse 13 he is still speaking to the same people he's asking who's wise among you those of you who desire to be teachers a teacher that involves using the tongue that's often a catalyst to disappointment deceit and disgrace think twice those who desire to be teachers who among you is wise and he begins, begins to distinguish between two wisdoms, the wisdom that comes from above and the wisdom that is of this world. And he says to them, who among you is wise? Who's wise and has understanding? Almost as if to say, listen, if you're wise, the wise people, we want you to go to this side of the room. Okay? Who among you is wise? We want you to go to this side of the room. And what we would probably intuitively do is look around and say, all right, who has the most degrees? Who's been to college the longest? Grab your briefcase and your, uh, and your information and your head full of education and full of knowledge and move to the left. And James says, nope. He breaks down wisdom and he says, it's not so much about your education as it is what? Your conduct. Everyone who's wise, go to the left. We're tempted to divide depending on education or information in our, in, in our heads. But what James is saying here is wisdom's not a, a matter of professional competence. Wait a second. 
You can tell who those are that are wise among you, not by the degrees or the letters after your name, but by your lifestyle. By your conduct, by the way you actually behave and do things. It's very similar to chapter 2, where James is, is saying, you know, who, who has faith? Who's a man of faith? And James says, you think you're a man of faith? Show me your faith. Show me. Let me see it in the way you live. If there is a root, if there is a heart, is, if there's some sort of substance underneath the smoke and mirrors of your life, if there's actually substance under there, some content, something real deep down underneath where people don't see, you know, the nice like kind of tiki wood and in the nice upholstery on your sailboat. But what's underneath? Is there something under there like a keel that goes below the water that actually matters? If that exists under the water where people aren't looking, then show me by the way you live. I'm a man of faith. Show me your faith. Well, I'm a man of wisdom. Okay. Show me. A man of wisdom and understanding. The same test applies. Show me that you're wise. By your conduct. By the way that you live your life. Good conduct. Let us show his works. It says in verse 1. What an interesting thought. Kind of counterintuitive. Show me by your lifestyle. Who's wise and understanding among you by his good conduct? Let him show you in the humility that comes from wisdom. So show me your wise in this humility that comes from wisdom. The wisdom James is addressing has a source, does it not, as we see in this passage? So, okay, how do I get wise? Right? I want wisdom. What an amazing thing in the book of James where we see God speak to us through his word and says, if you lack it, right, just ask for it. And God gives it. Like Solomon, who, who God said, ask of me anything. And he says, I want to be wise. I want to have understanding. And God responds to Solomon like, good job. Yeah, that was the right response. And we see James is, is a lot like the Proverbs. We see James is very Old Testament-esque in the way that he's addressing wisdom in this passage. And it reflects the Proverbs. Because Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. Why? He asked for wisdom, and God gave it to him. And we see the wisdom literature written in the scriptures and Proverbs. And James is mirroring this very, very closely in his discussion of what it means to be a wise person. Anyone lacks wisdom, ask for it. Why? Because true wisdom... True wisdom, it's vital in life. It's practical. And what we see from this passage is it's observable. True wisdom in your life is vital, it's practical, and it's observable. It can be seen. The wisdom James is addressing, it comes from God. It comes from above. It's not worldly. True wisdom comes from God. He is our source. And, and we're, we're to pursue it. And we're to pursue him in the way that we gain it. Romans 12 is, is very similar. Like it, If you remember Romans chapter 12, verse 1, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, 
through the word of God. You see in Romans chapter 12 that the word transforms us. It renews our mind and then it transforms our lives and leads into a life of what? Worship. We stand here and we sing about the gospel of Jesus Christ and his payment for our sins and we say thank you. And I'm so glad that the last verse of that song, because thank you seems kind of trite, doesn't it? It's like, you died for me, thanks. You know? But it's so much more than that, because you see in the last verse of that song, I want to live for you. That's the thank you. I want to glorify God with my life as a response to the gospel and live in such a way that we bring him glory and people get to see what he's like. Right? And James is saying the wise man... Wisdom that comes from above is observable in the life of a person who actually is wise. It's observable. The transforming of our mind by the word of God leads directly to a life that worships God in its conduct, in its behavior. The way I treat my wife, the way I minister to my kids, the way that I work in my job, the way that I interact with someone in the grocery store. It's, it's a life that's observably wise and brings glory to God. It's, it's, I'm not just going to worship God by singing in church on Sunday, which is a wonderful thing to do. I'm going to worship God with my life. Conduct. You know, I heard someone say once, and it's always help me understand wisdom to some degree that knowledge is what you know but wisdom is knowing what to do with it there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom While knowledge is what you know tons of people have a lot of knowledge but the ability to know what to do with the knowledge to affect it to execute that's wisdom to have it transform your life and your behavior you know if knowledge was enough I mean, think of the many things people know about, right? If knowledge was enough, who would smoke, right? Like, we know. It's, no one's hiding the ball anymore. We get it. Like, it's bad for you. I find it remarkable. I'm driving downtown, going to my office. I drive up, um, up the hill towards upstate, and I look outside, and I see at least a dozen nurses and doctors who take care of people dying of COPD every day outside smoking. And I think, well, they know. If knowledge was enough, it'd take care of it, right? I mean, we know that teenage pregnancy, the statistics, what it causes in terms of poverty and difficulty and, and, and just tragedy among our, our, our communities and our urban centers. We know it. If knowledge was enough, we'd take care of it, wouldn't we? And here James is saying, let's talk about wisdom. So much more than just knowing stuff. Show it with your conduct. True wisdom is based on knowledge, but it's more than knowledge. It's the ability to live in a manner pleasing to God. Because you understand His truth. And you live in constant submission to His Spirit. Applying that truth to all of life. It's more than knowledge. It's living in a manner that's pleasing to God. Why? Because we, we delight in his word. And, and we let the word of God shape us. We don't bring what we want to the word. We let the word of God lay the foundational 
bricks, the foundational stones that we build our lives on and, and by which we make decisions. It comes from delighting in the law of the Lord and living in such a way that, that we are being transformed by his word and we want to now live guided by the spirit of God in a manner that's pleasing to God and causes God to be glorified and worshipped. Proverbs 2, 6 says it this way, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. It comes from God. It comes from above. He gives it. So-called worldly wisdom, it's at odds with God's wisdom. True wisdom can only be attained by seeking after God, by seeking Christ, by pursuing Christ in your life, by, by delighting in his word. 1 Corinthians 1.18 through 2.16 is a whole passage dedicated to wisdom. And Paul talks about that, that God chose what's foolish in the world to shame the wise. And Paul says, I didn't come to you with lofty words or worldly wisdom words. I just came knowing nothing among you except for what? Christ and Christ crucified. That's what he preached. The wisdom of God that, that was foolishness to men. It's at odds with the world's wisdom. God's wisdom is foolishness to men. Comes from above. True wisdom comes from Christ. It comes from God. It comes from heaven. So James is echoing the Old Testament Proverbs. That wisdom is to be seen in the living of life. Wisdom, wisdom has feet. It has action. Wisdom goes places. I love, like, if you read through, and we won't do it this morning, but read through Proverbs chapter 2. And you see, as you, as you read into Proverbs chapter 4, like parents, that Solomon is crying out for his sons to not let wisdom go, to pursue wisdom, to go after wisdom, that, 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 that it's fleeting, and to, and to heed his words in Proverbs chapter 4. Listen to me, son. Listen to me. Heed my words. Heed my instructions. You need to pursue wisdom because it'll give you long life. It will preserve you. Unless you think Solomon's just some pragmatic dad that's trying to build a structure for his son to live by, he moves right into Proverbs chapter 5. And what does he talk about? Adultery. Right? Son, don't go to that house. Watch out for that. And you see this parent crying out to his children to pursue wisdom because this wisdom that seems so foolish, that isn't the kind of wisdom that all your friends and everybody in the world is telling you to pursue, that, that it seems foolish to the people of this world to pursue wisdom in this way. But if you do, son, if you do it, child, then your life will be preserved. You won't be killed. You won't be devastated. Your life won't be wrecked. Pursue the wisdom that comes from God. And Solomon cries out to his children. Man, are we passionate for our kids to be educated. And we don't want dumb kids, right? It's not, it's not a bad thing. We want our kids to learn math. We want our kids to learn science, if that's what they're teaching anymore. We want our kids to learn some sort of history. <sighs> Sorry. I'm editing so much right now, you don't even know. <laughs> After every history class in eighth grade, what did they tell you? Wait a minute. Let's have dinner together. We need to talk about this. Uh, we want our kids to be educated. 
it's not a bad thing. But if the passion of your heart is that your child, above all else, gets a good education, they will not have what they need by any stretch of the imagination to live a life pleasing to God. Are we passionate parents about our kids learning about how to pursue wisdom from above that will truly preserve them, not just in this life, but for eternity. Amen. Huge distinction between education and wisdom. I, I, love the, I love to look at Psalm 1 in this regard, and I know I've talked about Psalm 1 a lot. It's definitely my favorite psalm. It is the thesis of the psalms. Um, if I was ever to get a tattoo, which I never will, because I just don't enjoy pain for fashion in any sense, um, <laughs> I would love that tree, right? The picture of the tree. I have it hanging on, on the wall in my living room. But you see in Psalm 1, how do we know that this wise man is actually wise? He doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. He does not sit among mockers and scoffers. He delights in the law of the Lord. People look at this man. They see him go. They see him sit. They watch where he stands, and they conclude from where he sits, where he goes, where he stands, what he does, that this is a wise man, this is a blessed man, not because of what he knows, but because of what he does and where he goes, who he sits among. His wisdom is deduced from his life as lived, not from his lips as proclaimed. All the wise people go over here. Who are they? The super educated guy that can give a great lecture, but his life is a disaster? Or the one that you can deduce as wise from the way that his life is lived? Not necessarily from the things that he says. Parents, let's pray cry out as Solomon did for our kids to gain wisdom that comes from God. That they would have lives that are lived in a way that are pleasing to God. They would have lives that are lived in a way that demonstrates something that comes from above. So we see this distinction in the passage as we look at it. We see wisdom from above, godly wisdom, is wisdom that comes from heaven. And it's pure. Godly wisdom is pure. It's first pure, it says. And, and when you look at this word pure, it's, it really, in its meaning, connotates that it's free from jealousy. This wisdom that's first pure is, is free from jealousy or selfish ambition. The motives for this living are not to lord the way that you live over another or to gain advantage or power from others, but to glorify God and build up the person we're speaking to. So here we see this idea of purity as being, it's free from jealousy. It's free, unlike worldly ambition or worldly, I'm sorry, wisdom. It's, it's free from jealousy or conceit or the, the desire to lord over someone or the desire to gain advantage from someone. Is this not the direct opposite from worldly vision? Or, or, I'm sorry, worldly wisdom? Completely. 
the direct opposite. Where you just see valued among worldly wisdom is, is ambition. Valued among worldly wisdom is, is to gain advantage, is to, is to push others down, to hold yourself up, to get to the top, to be recognized, to pursue advancement, to pursue whatever ambitious desire is in your heart at the expense of others. And here James is saying, especially teachers, but everyone, especially teachers, but everyone, hey, watch what you say. Watch what you do. Do you really want to be the one standing up front and teaching? Because if you're saying things and your character doesn't support the things that you're saying, you're going to tend towards worldly wisdom that will hurt people, that will push people down, that will devastate, deceive, and destroy people's lives. That's worldly wisdom. The wisdom that comes from above uh, causes a life to have a conduct that is full of purity, not jealous, not ambitious, not trying to gain advantage for yourself, but speaking in such a way that you hold others up and you bless others many times at the expense of yourself. So James is distinguishing Oh, do we see too much of this in our world today? Look no for, farther than the, I'm not going to comment much on it, but the news of this week in our own state. The power, ambition. Boy, you look attractive to me, so I'm going to pursue you, and if you don't like it, I'm going to make your career disappear. a new podcast out that I've only listened to a little bit of. There was a pretty amazing ministry that actually was a huge part of the beginning of our ministry when we started Missio Church back in 07. Great leader who I learned a lot from, read his books, listened to his sermons, an entire church planning movement burst out of his ministry that we're still a part of today. And there was this great fall. And uh, a lot of it had to do with lack of wisdom. People keep asking me if I've listened to the podcast, and I actually don't want to. I will. I've listened to some of it. But it's heartbreaking. I don't want to hear it. But we can learn from it. Wisdom of the world is ambitious. It desires the celebrity pastor, does it not? It desires the stage. It desires to keep power and to push others away who would hurt it. Or who would maybe call you on it. Or maybe speak into your life and, and bring humility. You push it away for ambition, jealousy, power. That is the opposite of the wisdom that comes from above. And boy, was that fall of that ministry and that particular man devastating to the church. And as you listen to the podcast and those who give witness to the lives of people.
then I don't have to look to others to find these issues. The word of God this morning as we worship together as Renovation Church calls us to look introspectively. I gotta look at myself. We have to examine ourselves and ask ourselves, if we are allowing the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ to saturate our lives to such a degree that we are transformed and our conduct reflects the wisdom from above and not the wisdom from the world. Amen? Godly wisdom is pure, free from jealousy, selfish ambition, motives to lord over others. Godly wisdom is peaceable. Purity first, it says, because you can't compromise purity for peace. But if you hold purity in a cantankerous or contentious manner, that's not wisdom as it's not peaceable. So if it says purity first, we're not going to compromise the purity for the sake of peace. We're going to hold to those truths that are closed-fisted and, 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 and the purity that comes from the scriptures. But we don't hold it in such a way that we're cantankerous, that we're contentious, that we're lording it, that we're angry. That doesn't reflect the gospel. That doesn't reflect wisdom from above. That doesn't reflect conduct that brings glory to God and is wise. How do we engage in relationships in, in such a way to bring peace? How do we engage in relationships in such a way to, to speak peacefully to others? To, to, we, we spoke about this in our missional community this week. You know, a, a lot of this has to do with the humility to allow others in your life that can, that can speak truth to you, does it not? To help you in your conduct? One of the biggest issues with what we see in this, in this uh, example that has been in this podcast from this church is that when others came to speak and to bring correction and to bring someone uh, under so that, they could, so that they could grow and change, there was a rejection of, that, of allowing those in your lives that can do that. But can I just tell you, sons, daughters, uh, teachers, those that are here listening, if you want to live a life that reflects wisdom from above, you have to allow people who love you in your life that can speak truth to you in a way that, that confronts and allows you to change. Amen? If you do not have someone in your life that can do that, you're in danger. I've had many moments in my life where men who have permission to speak to me have, have gotten in my face and said, what you're doing is selfish. What you're doing is wrong. Your motive isn't right here. You need to be corrected in the way that you spoke here. Those things are very hard to hear. And our tendency is to react. And our tendency is to say, is to defend ourselves. We need to allow that in our lives. If you're angry about the confrontation from the brother who loves you, then stay quiet. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, as James says in 119. Be a quick listener, maybe go home and sleep on it, and I guarantee you when you wake up, you may go, mm, I think what they said to me might have some truth in it. That's wisdom. The willingness to live peaceably among each other means we have to have conversations like that. Peace doesn't mean ignoring conflict. Peace doesn't mean 
holding on to an offense, getting bitter, and not having the guts or not loving the person enough to have the difficult conversation and ignoring it until you're so bitter that you're angry, you don't like them, you want to leave the church, you want to leave these relationships, you want to leave this, and you don't even remember why anymore. It's just a root of bitterness that you filter everything through and everything someone says bothers you. We're instructed to live peaceably in our relationships. And that means having those conversations, which have been some of the most powerful conversations I've ever had in my life. When you have the guts to sit down with someone and say, man, we, we need to bring peace between each other. When we come to the Lord's table, we see it in Corinthians, in, in Corinthians 11. Don't come to the Lord's table if you have something against your brother or your sister. You're going to break bread. You're going you're to reflect on the gospel and the broken body of Jesus and the spilled blood of Jesus. You better make things right. Bring peace. Jesus has given us peace with God. The hostility is over. And the ability to forgive and have peace with each other. And that's a life and conduct that's wise, that brings peace, that reflects and worships God. Man, if the church could get, the, get this right, would we not bring glory to God in a way that everybody else would look and say, how do they do that? How do people who are so different from different socioeconomic uh, stratospheres, from different races, from different genders, all the problems that we see battling out in our world, but the church consumed with the word of God and the gospel, lives in such a way that they have peace with each other. How do they do that? Jesus, wisdom that comes from above, that comes from God, that enables to live in such a way that's completely different. Church, we have to do this. We're called to live peaceably. I'm not going to get to the worldly wisdom all that much. You're going to see as you read it, the counter to godly wisdom that comes from heaven is jealousy, is ambition, it's anger, it's bitterness. Godly wisdom is gentle. Godly wisdom is, a, is gentle. A man, this word really connotates a man who knows how to forgive when strict justice gives him the perfect right to condemn. The gentleman is the wise man. The conduct of a man that is gentle to others when he has perfect permission and justice would, would require condemnation of another, he forgives. Why would you do that? Where's wisdom come from? It comes from above. What do we know from above that we are forgiven of so much? In my arrogance, to hold a lack of forgiveness to another in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he's done for me may be the most despicable thing I can do. You see reflected all over the scriptures. If you, if you can't forgive, then you're not forgiven. Wisdom, wise conduct, is a gentle man, not a weak man, gentle, meek, as we see in Matthew 5 when Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount. Meek is a man who has strength under control. 
Meek is a man who has the ability to be harsh, has the ability to hurt, has the ability to take someone out. But he does not. Because he loves and forgives and is gentle and is caring. We have this massive pendulum reaction in our culture to what people like to call toxic masculinity. And there is some masculinity from the past that is pretty toxic. But we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater because there used to be a whole bunch of dudes that loved people, that held the door, that were gentle, that were kind, that were strong, that protected women and children. God describes what it means to be a man. It's not weak, but it is meek and gentle and kind. Strength under control, loving, caring, protecting, forgiving when they have a right to not forgive, so-called right. Godly wisdom is gentle. We see it in 1 Timothy 3.3, an elder is not contentious, but gentle. It's a requirement to be an elder. Godly wisdom is reasonable. This literally means willing to defer to others. It, it, it means easily persuaded, but not in a gullible way. You're not gullible, but you're exactly what James 1.19 says. You're quick to listen. Quick to listen. Boy, do we need to, to live like this as wise people. I learned this a long time ago as a young, arrogant, loud-talking, early 20-year-old who thought I knew way more than I did. Wanted to be a pastor, was ready to go to Bible school, and I met with a particular pastor on staff. And what I always noticed from this pastor is I would walk into a meeting with this guy who was in his 50s, who was wise, who had studied the scriptures, who had led people for years and years and years and years. And I'd walk into a meeting with this person I was supposed to meet with weekly, and I was always shooting my mouth off, and I noticed he was quiet. And he listened. And then it didn't take long for me to think to myself, why am I doing all the talking? I'm the 20-year-old. What the heck do I know, you know? But he would listen, 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 and then respond. When I came on staff, we'd be in pastor's meetings. It's a large church. There's probably about eight of us on staff. And we'd sit around the table, and everybody would talk. Everybody would shoot off their opinion. Everybody would say what they wanted to see happen. And I would watch him listen and listen and listen. And then when he spoke, after taking into account what others had said, it was like, ooh. This, is, this has served me well in my life and in my career, too. Sit and listen. Be quick to listen. I try to not be the first person to talk. Let others talk. It's amazing what you learn when you let others talk first. I was a prosecutor, and I had a case, and I used to let the defense attorneys talk first. You know why? Because half the time they'd concede before I even said anything. Right? This is very practical, not biblical at all. I'm sorry. <laughs> I remember sitting in my office with a particular defense attorney, and I'm literally thinking in my mind, 
I think I'm going to give this guy a misdemeanor. And the first words out of the defense attorney's mouth is, you know, I know he's got to take a felony, but can it, can it be an e-felony? I was like, okay. <laughs> I gave him a misdemeanor. It was the right thing to do. But being quick to listen, slow to speak. It's wise. It's reasonable. You know why else? You know what I found? Sometimes I think I know what I want to say. I think I have the most important thing to say among all the people in the room. And so they should hear me first because I really got to, I really know what's going on here. And if they heard me, then we just cut to the chase and this meeting would be a lot shorter. Anybody ever felt that way? And, and, and when I don't let myself do it and I sit and listen to other people speak, sometimes 10, 15 minutes into the meeting, I think, oh boy, I didn't really know what I thought I knew. And these other people have some great ideas and it's way better than mine wise to be reasonable not always have the answer let others speak be quick to listen maybe you will be persuaded to do something smarter than what you came up with in your brain wisdom from above is reasonable wisdom from above is unwavering wisdom from above is without hypocrisy I've preached too long. There's more to study here. Worldly wisdom is the antithesis of wisdom that's from above. Here's what I want everyone to leave with, because there's a lot more to talk about. Wisdom from above has so much more to do with what you know in your head. It has to do with your conduct and the way that we're living our lives. Number two. Our ability to live our lives in such a way that we glorify God and we please Him and we live wise as from above has a lot to do with how much we are soaking in, pursuing the Word of God, pursuing Christ, allowing that to shape us and transform us and then turn into a, a, a living, a worshiping God with our feet, with our lives, with our actions and our conduct. Wisdom. From God, wisdom from above is counterintuitive. It looks like foolishness to the world. Not ambitious, not jealous, not holding others down, holding others up, speaking wisely, speaking carefully, encouraging, living peaceably, living purely, living without hypocrisy. Boy, would the church show the glory of God to this world in the way that we live amongst each other with wisdom. That the way our lives and our conduct demonstrate who God is and what he has truly done for us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning that you give this to us. We wouldn't know. If we, were if we were to pursue how to live on our own, in our own flesh, in our own sinfulness, we would undoubtedly live lives that destroy, that hurt, that deceive, that live into what's described as worldly wisdom. But we don't have to live that way. You have saved us. 
You have redeemed us. You have forgiven us. And in the light of what you have done and what you've done alone, we can respond with a life of worship, with a life that's conduct uh, that, that reflects your glory, that reflects your wisdom that's from heaven. Your wisdom that brings life, that brings peace, that brings purity. Change us. Change us. The only way this happens is if you change us, Lord. We recognize our inability. We recognize our sin. And we ask you to do something in our hearts that produces a foundation in us that this just gets lived out. Continue to finish the work you started as you've promised you would. What we do this morning in prayer is we come to your word as we make ourselves available to you. Change me. Turn me and I'll be turned. We repent. We repent for our ungodly tongues, for our ungodly lives that have hurt people, that have caused damage. We repent and we ask you to turn us. Turn us and we will be turned. Let us live lives of wisdom that encourage, that love, that bring peace. You say if we ask for it, you give it. This morning, we ask for it. Give us wisdom, Lord. We need you. We trust you. We have faith, not just a hope, but biblical faith, a confident expectation. You do what you say you're going to do. We trust you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. This morning and sing.